Welcome to the South Metro Ministries podcast. Here's this week's message from Pastor Alan Matura. I'm beginning a series of uh, lessons entitled On the Family, on Marriage and the Family. And I'm titling the series Life is Like a Box of Chocolates. Because life is like that. You never know what you're going to get. And today, I'm starting a series of sermons entitled, Life is Like a Box of Chocolates and Raising Your Kids. <laughs> you ever raise kids and wonder what gene pool they came from? <laughs> Whose DNA they got? We're going to talk for next month on family. Of the 871 counseling sessions our counselor did at the recovery house last year, 57% had to do with marriage and family. I cannot look at a congregation of 1,419 members, of which we had 1,487 in church last Sunday. And as a pastor, having been here 29 years next month, and see a 57% marriage and family problem and not address it from the pulpit. Can't do it in good conscience. So I'm not going to be Pentecostal with the, you know, yelling and jumping and Whoop glory so much that I'm just going to talk to you as a shepherd. Been married 35 years to the same gal. Been counseling for 29 years. Don't come to me for counseling. This is it. This message and series is it, okay? I only do crisis counseling. Uh, because some of you have driven, drove me crazy with your stuff. And I just want to preach. We have a counselor, but I'm accessible. I'll intervene. I'll talk to you. I'll see you. But this is my counseling session with you. Uh, somebody said there are three stages in marriage, three stages. First, there is the uh, ideal. Put it on the screen for me, the ideal stage of marriage. You got the ring. You got the bride. You got the groom. You got... Visions of sugar plum dancing in your hair. <laughs> you got the ideal. It don't take long after the honeymoon where things begin to settle down and then it takes the next stage of marriage, which is the ordeal. <laughs> Sometimes the honeymoon lasts a week. Sometimes it lasts a month. If you're lucky, it lasts three or four months. But then the real you will show up. It's like the, uh, you might have heard about the newlyweds on their honeymoon. The groom took his bride by the hand and said to her, Now that we're married, dear, I hope you won't mind if I mention a few little defects that I've noticed about you. Not at all, the bride replied with a sort of deceptive sweetness. It's those little defects that have kept me from getting a better husband. <laughs> here, here, here's, some, here's some sayings that occurs about marriage that changes from the ideal to the ordeal. Uh, Sirs, try praising your wife even if at first it frightens her. Uh, another saying is, all marriages are happy, it's the living together afterward that causes all the troubles. 
Here's another one I like. Marrying for money is the hardest way to earn it. Here's another one I like too. Marriage is a wonderful institution. If it weren't for marriage, husbands and wives would have to fight with perfect strangers. Groucho Marx said this about marriage. The husband who wants a happy marriage should learn how to keep his mouth shut and his checkbook open. That's where the ordeal comes in. How about this? There are a few four-lettered words that will shake up every bride. Cook. Wash. Dust. And iron. Uh, The pastor was visiting the fourth grade Sunday school class to talk about marriage as part of the lesson that Sunday. And the pastor asked the class the question, what does God say about marriage? Immediately a little Johnny raised his hand and said, God said about marriage, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Then there is not the deal and the ordeal, but then there has to become the third, which is the new deal. The new deal is where I learn that marriage is not 50% he and 50% she, but 100% me, whether she is not, whether she's only 50, 100% he. In other words, for a marriage to last, you have to put your 100% in, not his 50 and yours. I've learned that. Today we're talking about, put it back on the screen, about trouble in paradise. On July 29, 1981, July 29, 1981, one of the most highly publicized and glamorous weddings in history took place. Britain's Prince Charles married Lady Diana in a ceremony watched by an estimated audience of 750 million people around the world. My research tells me that 4,500 pots of fresh flowers lined the route to St. Paul's Cathedral. And at St. Paul's Cathedral, 2,500 people crowded that grand church where more than 75 technicians and 21 cameras worked to enable the world to watch this wedding. For many people, this was a modern-day fairy tale. A royal prince weds a lovely lady in a grand cathedral surrounded by adoring subjects. They were the envy of millions, Prince Charles and Lady Diana. They were rich, they were young, and handsome. It was a marriage made in heaven. Sadly, we know that the fairy tale became a nightmare. We know that Prince Charles and Lady Diana grew more and more distant from each other. We knew that and know now that affairs ensued. And the storybook marriage made in heaven eventually collapsed into adultery and divorce. Now get this. Ladies and gentlemen, those who are not married and those who are, and if you're just a young person, 
Get this. It takes more than a prince, a lady, and a palace to make a happy marriage. As someone has said, marriage is, marriage is plural, may be made in heaven, but the maintenance must be done on earth. For a marriage to survive, it takes regular maintenance. You might want to write this down. A glamorous wedding does not guarantee a great marriage. There are five small phrases, simple statements that if a wife is willing to use and a husband is willing to use in the course of walking out their marriage and dealing with issues of communication and issues of finances and issues of raising children and issues of intimacy and issues of uh, uh, in-laws. There are five little statements. They won't be on the screen, but I'll give them to you. If you can learn to say this about something that is troubling and you don't have the answer. Simply say, I don't know. That's statement number one. I don't know. Here's statement number two that will help heal a marriage. I was wrong. I don't know how many times I've had to tell my wife that. And the hardest person to apologize to is my wife. Even as recently as this week, I had to apologize for being a jerk. Don't you say amen because I know a few out there and I'll point them out. Here's a third statement. If you're willing to use it, sir or ma'am, in, this mar- in your marriage, it'll help it. Not just, I don't know and I was wrong, but number three, I need help. She knows it. You know it. He knows it. You know it. We all know it. Admit it. Here's a fourth statement that'll help your marriage. I'm afraid. I'm afraid. I don't know what to do. I'm afraid. Here's a, here's a fifth statement that will help every marriage. I'm sorry. I'm just sorry. I'm sorry it happened. It shouldn't have happened. And, and I come this way to tell you that America And America's military system is so sophisticated, and I'm glad it is, until we have in our military system what is called an early warning system. If another nation or a terrorist group or internally in America, homemade terrorism, were to try to launch a missile or some other weapons of high sophistication. We have American soldiers under the, in the ocean in submarines monitoring. We have American soldiers and, and military personnel in the air flying all the time monitoring as an early warning system. Uh, do I have a witness? We have people all over in places you and I don't know monitoring as an early warning system. Because we are a free nation a lot of people are jealous of us. Because we love Israel and a lot of people hate Israel. And so there are probably a lot of terrorist attacks that were coming our way that the government hasn't told us about for the possibility of us being so frightened and terrified. But they took care of it. There should be in every marriage an early warning system that comes up to say we need a little help. 
We need to talk. We need a counselor. We need to pray. There are six danger signals that you should look for that occurs in marriages that tells you something needs fixing. Number one is, they all begin with the letter D. The first is discontent. Discontent comes on so slow that it's almost unnoticeable. It's very subtle, but it's dangerous. Discontent, if you will, is fed by continually comparing your husband or your wife with somebody else and their masculinity and talent and abilities or success. If you're taking notes, write it down. If you don't, I'm not taking notes. Pretend you are. It'll make me feel better. Discontent is when you're always holding your partner up to careful scrutiny and you're looking at him or her trying to find a fault, trying to pinpoint a problem. Discontent is when you compare your spouse to your mom or your dad. Why can't you be like my mom? Why can't you be like my dad? One fellow said to his wife, why can't you make biscuits like my mother used to? To which she said to him, why can't you bring home the dough like my daddy used to? I'm going to tell you, we're going to need some counsel after this because I'm going to ag it on. Discontent is very self-centered, church, because you are continually pushing your partner to be something you want him or her to be. And you need to get this. You may not hear a preacher say this, but you'll hear this preacher say this. Be careful, spouses, who have partners that are not yet saved. You want them saved so bad, and that's a good thing, but if you express discontent by nagging and fault-finding about them not going to church and not serving God, you are creating discontent. You're just supposed to live it in front of them. If you're discontent, go ahead and in the closet and pray about your husband or wife without them hearing and saying, God, deliver me from the devil or the sister of the devil that I married. But live for Christ in front of them. Discontent is, is, I must have made the wrong choice. He's not what I expected. She's not what I planned. Why do I have to live with this cantankerous man or woman? Why do I have to live with this uncooperative woman? Discontent. Oh, first she was the princess of your life. Oh, man. I remember when I, we dated, Valerie and I. We knew each other at age 12, but we went to the same university. Lee University back then was Lee College. And we started dating, and she and my sister were roommates, and I got all of a sudden very interested in my sister's well-being because <laughs> I was trying to get to her roommate. I'd go up to the dorm and buzz the little buzzer where you, you tell, announce your arrival, and we'd have a date. Man, I was little Lord Funkley Road. <laughs> there was a time when I had hair. Glenn, I wish I had hair like you, man. Why don't you save me some of that so I can stick it on my head? And I waited at the dorm. She'd be a few minutes late. I didn't care. I was going to go out with a southern bell, a Georgia peach. And I remember I had a 68 Plymouth Valiant in 1977. That car, I paid, Ray, I paid $500 for that car. When I was in high school in 75, I graduated high school. 
The car was like a Fred Flintstone car. The brakes, you had to push your way all the way through the floorboard to stop it. It felt like it. And just about every time you made a, a turn, the carburetor would choke and die. But it's what I had. Then I later got a Plymouth Duster moved up into the world. And you, some of you don't have a clue what a Plymouth Valiant is or what a Plymouth Duster is. That's what I had. I'd, she'd come to the door after I rung the buzzer. I'd go and open the door for her and make sure she's safely secured. Go on my side. We'd go to the mall and walk around. I didn't have much money. I'd take her to Crystal's to eat. And we'd hold hands walking in the mall. And even though if I got a little itch in my hand or sweaty, I wasn't going to turn loose of it, John. We got to the mall. I opened the door for her. We walked side by side. We've been married 35 years now. She has her own car. I have my own. She can get it herself. I want, I want to kid. I want to kid. Uh, I'll need some counseling, Pastor Jeff. Uh, when I go to the mall, I know what I want. You can hang over in the ladies' section. I'm going over here to the men. Just holding hand stuff. <laughs> but I'll get to the better part of it. The point of it is whatever you use to get her, sir or ma'am, you ought to keep it going in the marriage, even after you say I do. It does help. Let, 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 let me hasten here. This is how you deal with discontent. How do you, how you deal with discontent in your marriage? Uh, discontent is you simply address discontent, put it up on the screen with the prayer of thanksgiving. What do you mean, Pastor? You ought to thank God for his strength or her strength or his encouragement or her encouragement regardless of what's going on in the marriage. You ought to thank God for your spouse. Ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, it's extremely difficult to thank God for someone and complain about him or her at the same time. Look, look, look at what Paul says in Philippians 4 and 11. Paul says about being content. I have learned in whatever state I'm in, or I am, to be content. Yes, it does mean Florida, Georgia, and Alabama, but that ain't what he was talking about. Whatever condition my life is in. Oh, I feel the preaching coming on, but I'm supposed to teach. Whatever condition my marriage is in, whatever condition my finances is in, whatever condition my mind is in, I am learning how to be content until God takes me to the next level. Somebody say amen. Let, 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 me, let me show you something else here. First uh, Timothy 6 and 6 talks about being content. It says, now godliness with contentment is great gain. You got to include godliness in there. How can you be content in a storm unless you got Jesus? Ask the Apostle Paul. Godliness. Be a godly wife. Be a godly husband. Be a godly daughter. A godly son. Be a godly mother-in-law. A father-in-law. Can I get an amen? I, I read an article in the D Reader's Digest some years ago, and I saved it, and I've used it before, but it talks about contentment. It is a true story in a condensed version in a Reader's Digest article entitled A Story for Valentine's Day. Let me read it to you. Larry and Joanne were an ordinary couple. They lived in an ordinary house on an ordinary street. Like other ordinary couples, they had struggled to make ends meet and do the right thing for their children. They were ordinary in yet another way. They had their squabbles. Much of their conversation concerned with what was wrong in their marriage and who was to blame. 
Until one day when a most extraordinary event took place. I'll read on. You know, Joanne, Larry says, I've got a magic chest of drawers. Every time I open them, they're full of socks and underwear, Larry said. I want to thank you for filling them all these years. Joanne stared at her husband over the top of her spectacles like this. And she said, what do you want, Larry? (laughs) Nothing, he said. I just want you to know I appreciate those magic drawers and the chest of drawers that you keep my clothes in. That wasn't the first time that Larry had done something odd, so Joanne pushed the incident out of her mind until a few days later when Larry says, Joanne, thank you for recording so many correct check numbers in the ledger this month. You put down the right number 15 out of 16 times. That was a record. I'm going to stand over here, Valerie. She has her own checking account. That's something we agreed on. She and I have a checking account together. My business is to deposit in her account <laughs> and to balance her account. And I only, ooh, I might be needing some chocolate right about now. That won't do. Uh, <laughs> the only thing Valerie does is that she don't always write it down. And she gives me the receipts and I just love her so much. Anyhow, (laughs) here goes the story. Here goes the story. Disbelieving what she heard, Joanne looked up from her mending. She said, Larry, you're always complaining about my recording the wrong check numbers. Why stop now? No reason, he said. I just wanted you to know I appreciate the effort you're making. Joanne shook her head and went back to her mending. What's gotten into him, she mumbled. Nevertheless, the next day when Joanne wrote a check at the grocery store, she glanced at her checkbook to confirm that she had put down the right number. And she thought to herself, why do I suddenly care about these dumb check numbers? She tried to disregard the incident, but Larry's strange behavior intensified. Joanne, that was a great dinner, he said one evening. I appreciate all your effort. Why, Larry said, why in the last 15 years, I bet you fixed over 14,000 meals for me and the kids. Then he goes, gee, Joanne, the house looks spiffy. You really work hard to get it looking so good. And even thanks, Joanne, for just being you. I really enjoy your company. Joanne was growing worried. She's thinking, where's the sarcasm? Where's the criticism? Her fears that something Peculiar was happening to her husband was confirmed by the 16-year-old daughter, their daughter Shelly, who complained. She said to her mother, Dad's going bonkers, Mom. He just told me I look nice. With all this makeup and sloppy clothes, he still said it. That's not Dad, Mom. What's wrong with him? Whatever was wrong, Larry didn't get over it. Day in and day out, he continued focusing on the positive. Over the weeks, Joanne grew more and more used to her mate's unusual behavior, and occasionally she even gave a grudging thank you. She prided herself in taking it all in stride until one day something so peculiar happened, she became completely discombobulated. I want you to take a break, Larry said to Joanne. I'm going to do the dishes. So please take your hands off the frying pan and leave the kitchen. How many know there is a God? <laughs> Joanne stepped now a little, her steps now a little bit lighter, her self-confidence higher, and once in a while she even hums. She didn't seem to experience any more blue moods. I'd rather like Larry's new behavior, she thought. 
And that would be the end of the story, except one day another most extraordinary event took place. This time it was Joanne who spoke. Joanne said, Larry, I want to thank you for going to work and providing for us all these years. I don't think I ever told you how much I appreciate it. And it closes with this paragraph. Larry has never revealed the reason for his dramatic change of behavior, no matter how hard Joanne pushed for an answer. And so it would likely remain one of life's mysteries, but it's one I'm thankful for to live with. You see, it concludes, you see, I am Joanne. Give me the next one, if you will. Danger signal. In a marriage, when discourtesy shows up, you know there's a problem. You know what discourtesy means? It means you or I don't have time to be thoughtful. We talk to our kids a lot about minding their manners, especially in the presence of adults. We talk to adults about their needs to remind ourselves of minding our manners to our boss, our supervisor, about courtesy. But I was demonstrating discourtesy and I am when I don't open the door for her anymore. I don't walk alongside of her in the mall. Like, I, 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 in other words, if there's any one person I want to be with in the world more than anybody else, it's Valerie. I like you, but I love her. I got two birds and a dog. I've gone to the birds and the dogs, but I, I love my wife. I got two of the world's greatest grandchildren, one flying in, my grandson Lakeland and his mother flying in this evening, and my granddaughter coming in from coming Georgia because she has tomorrow off, her mother does from school, and the granddaughter who's three months old, and they, I love these girls, but there is only one girl in my life. One. And that's Valerie. And it would always be, and if she ever leaves me, I am going with her. Let me tell you something. You see this sports coat I got on? And this shirt and this tie? And this little dumbafligi? You know who put all that together? It wasn't me. I can't tell blue from black. If it's deep navy, it's memory. She helped me with this church and been helping me pastor this church for 29 years. And I get a lot of credit for what she does. She works as a wife and a mother, been a wife for 30, 35 years, and a working mother while serving the church as a music pastor for 14 years without pay because we couldn't afford one. She, in other words, if I'm just courteous to Valerie in your presence, I'm wasting my time. I'm the pastor of my house. It's what I do in private, what you do in private that counts more to God. And you begin at your house. Some of us are more courteous to the waiter or the waitress that serve us. Some of us are more courteous to the male per- mailman or male woman. Come on and help me preach or I'll just point out some folks. Uh, uh, some of us are more courteous to the bank teller and we go home and we bark at each other. Let, 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 put the next slide up there because I'm in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. First uh, Peter 3 and 8, the Bible says, be tenderhearted, be courteous. Not just the strangers. Here's a third, here's a third sign of, of, of a danger signal in marriage. Marriage is going bad. It's destructive speech. 
And James, in the book written by him with his name, tells us about destructive speech and how to handle it. James 1.19, it's on the screen. So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. In your marriage, number one, you should tune in to your spouse's speaking. That's swift to hear. Sometimes we want to win the argument so, so much we interrupt what they're saying because we got to have the final word. I've done that. Then he says not only tune in, but secondly he says in, in communication and avoiding destructive speech, tone down. Be slow to speak. Listen first. And choose your body language and your tone in a manner that is not destructive. I told you all I'm just going to teach you. I know if you want a whoop glory service, a lot of shouting and dancing, you had to buy last week's tape when crazy man Ziegler was here. We stayed in the altar at 135 praying with people. I, I got 1,500 sermons on file. I know how to, I, I've been doing this for 29 years. I know how to get you all wound up. But I got over half of my congregation hurting in marriage. So I'm just going to talk to you. Tone down. And then, then James says, be slow to wrath, which means sweeten up. Well, I think I'll have you a little chocolate now. Mm, I, mm, mm, mm. Oh, I don't like this one. Oh, oh. Yuck. Isn't life like a box of chocolates? That's nasty. I'm just kidding, Kathleen. Just kidding. When Winston Churchill was Prime Minister of England, he always had conflict with Lady Astor, who was also part of Parliament. And Winston Churchill and Lady Astor was always arguing. And they got rather destructive in their speech at times. Uh, on one occasion, Lady Astor said to Churchill, if I were your wife, I would put arsenic in your tea. To which Churchill said, Madam, I can assure you that if you were my wife, I would gladly drink it. <laughs> it was said that Winston Churchill was drunk, 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 alcohol, drunk, booze, drunk. And he came to Parliament. And Lady Astor was so provoked by his appearance and his drunken stupor, she said, Churchill, you are drunk. He said, that is true, and you are ugly. But he said, tomorrow I'll be sober. <laughs> One fellow said to his wife in criticizing, he said, he said, I can't understand how God made you so beautiful and yet so dumb. She said, it's simple. He made me beautiful so that you would be attracted to me and he made me dumb so I'd be attracted to you. <laughs> the opposite of destructive speech is positive encouragement. Give me a witness. Anybody who told you sticks and stones may break my bones but words will never hurt you, they haven't been in living in the real world. You can get over the injury of sticks and stones. But words that were said even after you asked an apology will play like a computer file in your head. 
A soft answer turneth away wrath. Proverbs 15 and 1. You might want to write that reference down. A soft answer. Look, put on the screen Ephesians chapter 4 verse 31 and 32. Let all bitterness, wrath, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And everybody read verse 32 with me out loud on the count of three. One, two, three. And be kind one to another, tenderhearted. Come on. One another, even as God in Christ forgave. Give the Lord a, a hand clap of praise. I know I skipped some stuff there, guys, and that's okay. Here, here, here's something else that, that destroys marriage, or it's a danger signal. It's deception. Deception. What, what, what do you mean, Pastor? It's the use of manipulation in marriage. We use manipulation in order for one or the other of the spouse to get their way. He, uh, he will withhold cash because he's the breadwinner and security. Because he wants to have his way. And she, in turn, withhold, withhold intimacy and sexual intimacy which belongs in marriage. In order to get her way. And I say that to tell you that deception hinders trust and intimacy. And Ephesians 5 and 6 says, Let no one deceive you with empty words. In your marriage, let your yea be yea and your nay be nay. Let, let, let me tell you this. Officer Williford, would you stand, please, sir? This is Deputy Chief Officer Furman Williford from the College Park Police Department, whom I've known for years, whom Valerie has known before I've known him, so it probably goes back to 35 or more years. He's the head of our security here at the church, an elder in the church. But just remain standing, because I've got a reason. I'm going to need some protection right here. <laughs> Manipulation. Sir... Just because you are stronger physically gives you no right to lay your hands on that woman in any abusive way. Just because you got the muscles. But I have seen some wives who I think could whip the daylights out of some of their husbands and <laughs> probably should have. I'm five feet trying to be seven inches tall and I weigh 140 pounds. But if you want to make me mad, you come and tell me your husband been beating on you. I've never yet had one say their wife been beating on them, but I think one or two could, yeah. Listen, I got two daughters. They have handsome son, uh, son-in-laws, handsome husbands. They could beat the devil out of me if they wanted to. But if they lay their hands on my Jennifer Kimberly, I'm going to take off my coat. I'm going to grab my belt. And I'm going to be on them like white on rice. Now, now you listen to me. Ma'am, you don't have to live in that hell hole of physical abuse. You need to call the law. And if you call me and he's hit you and hurt you, I'm calling the law. So you could save yourself an in-between. Oh, I, I just feel... You can be seated, brother. Let me, let me get back. Yeah. That's a bunch of... Yeah. And parents who abuse their children... 
slap them in the face and get them in anger and because you're the man, because you're the mama, you're going to answer to God for that. You ought to discipline your children, but not when you're mad and hot-tempered and angry. The very thing you hated about being disciplined by your parents, you've turned out to do the same thing to your child, and no wonder you're so distant. I'm just going to be playing in this series. I may die today, but I want to go up to heaven and say, good job, boy. I'm not mad at anybody. I'm just telling you some of us need to take responsibilities for the mess we're in. Is there something else you can put on that screen so I can keep going? Dullness and boredom will kill a marriage. In order for the marriage to work, you need to keep sending the roses. One day, some years ago, Valerie sent me roses the same day I sent her roses. Friday night is our date night. If you ask me to go out and we go on a Friday night, it's because I'm encroached on our date night. Man, I tell you, turn the light, turn the light. You all just going to go and eat in Golden Corral, some buffet line somewhere, so just sit right here and eat this right now. Some of this I'm going to tell you ain't none of your business, so I'm going to know where to stop, but be careful, she said. <laughs> Sometimes my anointing is annoying. Okay, here's how I'm going to say it. I enjoyed being snowed in with my wife for two days. And the rest of that is none of your business. I, I, watch, I love Clouseau, Inspector Clouseau, <laughs> Peter Sellers. My wife, she, she don't, she got to get him dramas and all that. I, I just love me. If Medea ain't cussing, I'm looking at Medea. <laughs> Clouseau. Superman. Iron Man. I love me some James Bond. She thinks I look at it for the women in there. Oh, goodness gracious, I don't even notice. Well, okay. <laughs> you know what? Here's the a, here's a last point. Distance. Distance. Danger signal of Distance. There are five danger signals of distance. I'm going to tell you about them, then I'm going to let you go home after we pray together. Number one, you know that distance is taking place in your marriage when you start developing interests which pulls you apart from your spouse. It could be sports. It could be a, your job. It could be another person other than your spouse. Hanging out with your pals. Hey, you know what? You know there's a problem taking place with distance. Number two, when... Not only do you develop other interests, but at the same time, when you prefer the company of others more than you do the company of your spouse. Can I get a witness? The older I get and the older our marriage becomes, the more I want to spend time with Valerie than I do anybody else. <laughs> the kids are coming this evening. We want them to come. They had 18 inches of snow in Germantown this weekend. I'm sure glad the choir didn't sing this morning, let it snow, let it snow, let it snow. <laughs> no, no, here's another danger signal. When you start putting your children ahead of your spouse, I know some of you are staying in your marriage today because of the kids. And that's okay. And those of you that are divorced, and you had to divorce, you didn't want to, but it happened. God loves you. 
you probably should have left that jerk or that demon, well, or some, that person a long time ago. I ain't here to attack you one bit, okay? Divorce is sometimes necessary. And there are biblical reasons for that. And I love you and Jesus loves you and you are not a second class citizen if you're a divorcee or remarried. I'll worry about you if you're like Elizabeth Taylor on a fifth husband or husband number nine. You know what she said to her previous, to her husband number six? She said, don't worry. I won't keep you too long. Uh, let me show you something else. Danger signal. Danger signal. A slowing of growth together. You're growing apart. Well, let me show you another danger signal. Danger signal. A weakening of marital intimacy. Now, if you've got kids this way, you take your fingers and put it in their ear. But they probably know more than you think. Sexual intimacy is meant for the marriage bed. And as you get older, your body changes and the frequency of sexual intimacy is natural. But not the total abstinence. Okay? Because then you cause he or her to look someplace else because there, that is a physical need that is intended to be fulfilled in marriage. If it's a medical issue, have it attended to. But if you tell him one more time, I got a headache after you bought all the aspirins and all the, and you, all the prescriptions, why don't you get a foot ache sometime and just change it up? I need a box of chocolates. No, no, I'm not trying to put baggage on you, ma'am. But he'll go looking someplace else, and that's not right with God. Now, now, now let me tell you something about Alan Matura, okay? I'm red-blooded just like you are. Men, I'm just as tempted just like you are. I got a guard. Listen to this. I do not meet with women alone in my office. Never. I'll either have another church lady here or Anne, my assistant, will have the door open. I don't need the temptation. We ordered direct TV and immediately they gave us three months of premium channel. And you know what it was full of? Sex, sex, adultery, fornication. Told them I don't want it even if it's free. I do not go out and eat with a member of the opposite sex unless it's my wife or she's with me. Okay? Well, you're a preacher. No, I'm a Christian. And so are you. I don't care if it's a business deal, sir, and you've got to have lunch with her or ma'am. I do not, I do not travel alone because I don't need the temptation. Did you, you hear me? Okay. I'm, I'm 57 years old. But I, I don't care if you're 87 years old. There are drives and urges that can be triggered. Into, that's why pornography is so pronounced and killing in America. I, it's amazing what they call freedom of speech in America that's adultery and fornication and in, in your cell phone. I, I, I get junk mail that I never asked for. I never asked for Viagra from Canada. Come to the music. We've got to land this plane somewhere. It shows up in my... Somebody wants to talk to you about so-and-so. Listen. Don't email me unless you got a concern or prayer request or something. Uh, email Ann. I hardly even read it. 
That's why I don't do Facebook and email because I don't have, I have 1,419 members and I got their families and I love people. I don't, if you got to get something urgent to me, call Ann, call one of the staff, some of you got my cell number, or, 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 or you can pray for me. And, and, and sexual intimacy, if she doesn't enjoy this new thing, then quit. And if he doesn't, then quit. I don't care what Hollywood does. Get the filth out of your house. And don't let him say to you or her, say, well, I got needs, and if you're not going to make me them, I guess I'll... That's wrong. It's adultery. It's fornication. I don't care if you're just watching it at TV. I've been there. I know about that. And I still have to fight it all the time. But I can if I'm accountable my computer, I tell her, go on my computer every time. Go on the TV and see what I watch. Check my, check my text message and check. I don't allow any other women's picture on my phone unless my wife says it's there and it's my children because I don't need it. I want to go to heaven. I want to be married to Valerie till I die or the rapture takes place. Till death do us part. Put something else on the screen and they'll think I'm quitting. Come praise team. Come on, come on, come on. It'll help me. Success in marriage doesn't depend on finding the right person so much as it does on being the right person. Write it down. Write this down too, please. Bullet. Focus on the person you can change. That is yourself. You know, I'll be careful. Valerie has never been into back scratching. Is this going too far? You don't know where it's going? Just love for her to scratch my back. She's brought me all kinds of tools to scratch my own back. I got a hairbrush beside my bed. That you, but when Lakeland comes and he gets ready to go to bed, guess whose back she's rubbing it's our grandson. That'll cost me something. I'll cash it. Look, 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 get this right here. I'm just teaching you. Get this and I'm closing. It's not marriage that fails. It's people that fail. Stand please, would you? Start singing. If you and your spouse are together, you and your spouse are together in service, come to the altar with them. Jesus don't leave if you if you don't have to. Thank you. Jesus From beginning to the end, it will always be so. Raise your hands with me now and make him the center of it all. The center of it all. Jesus.
say it as a prayer. Whether you're married or not, I want you to be the sinner. If you're going to get married, you're, you're engaged. Come on up. Jesus, you're the I'm going to ask you to pause right there. I know, and I want you to continue in a minute. You're with your spouse or your bride or groom-to-be. Take them by the hand. I want you to thank God for them. 30 seconds. Thank God for them. Don't pray about no problems. Just right now. Go ahead. Start. Right now. Thank God. Thank you, God, for a wife who has forgiven me who has been with me, especially this last year when I've been sick and I was hard to get along with sometimes because of stress and anxiety and panic and depression. Thank you for a wife who has worked for 32 years to raise our family and 35 years to be married to me. Come on, thank God for your spouse. I pray in the Holy Ghost and I pray in English too. That's okay, you can do that. Go ahead. Thank God. Don't look. This is not the time for discourtesy and destructive speech and deception and distance. This is thank God. Go ahead. I thank you for our children. I thank you for our grandchildren. I thank you for, oh God, uh, our parents. I thank you, Heavenly Father, for their example that they've shown us the way of Christ. I thank you for, oh God, uh, uh, the, the love that exists. Amen. Now I want you to look to your spouse and take 15 seconds and tell them what you're thankful for what in their life. Tell them to them. Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more information, visit smmcog.com.